All right. There's no more of that coming. We continue our series, What God Wants for for Me. This series identifies essentials for spiritual life. We're focusing on what God's desires are for each of us. Of course, He desires that we mature, that we develop, that we deepen in our spiritual growth. And so this is the process by which that happens. So take out your uh, message guide, and we'll review it first. What does God want for me? What does He want for you? All right, now we've been doing this now for about six weeks. And don't just read it behind me. What does God want for you? Pursue. Does that imply something? It implies, yes, yeah, some action on your part. So what God wants for us is to pursue a relationship with Jesus. That's his purpose for us. How do we pursue it? What makes it possible? By what? By faith. Through communicating with God, through connecting with Christians, and through caring for others. That's God's plan, that he makes pursuing Christ in relationship possible by faith. And that faith is strengthened through these three steps. Why has God laid out this process for us? So that we can experience transformed life. Are you experiencing transformed life? You say, well, how do I know? Well, there's evidence, and the evidence will be loving God, loving people, and living like Jesus. You see this device we put together over our our logo. What does God want for me? To pursue a relationship with Jesus by faith, to experience transformed life. And you see, faith is like the trunk of the tree that is planted down into the living water, which is Jesus. And it grows by us connecting with God, I mean, communicating with God through prayer, through fasting, by connecting with other Christians, and by also caring for others. And the result is the canopy. The canopy is transformed life, and that's loving God, loving people, and living like Jesus. That's the result of pursuing the relationship. Our focus today is on just one part of that canopy, loving God. There on the top of your brochure, your discussion guide, is Matthew 22. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. That's also found at Deuteronomy 6, 5. So as we begin, ask yourself this question, am I keeping the greatest of all commandments? Am I loving God in all these ways, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? And you may say, well, how do I know? Because everyone says they love God. You know, overwhelming majority of the people in this country would say they love God. But how does it show in our lives? What's the evidence? In other words, what does loving God look like in a life? The first evidence is there will be concentration. Psalms 85. Turn in your Bibles there. 
Now, what, what I mean by concentration is paying attention to God and what he says. Psalms 85, kind of right in the middle of the Bible. And if you bought this Brookwood $15 Bible, it's on 482. Verse 8, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. And it continues, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. Do you listen carefully? You know, when you love another person, you listen carefully and you watch closely to what that person, you listen to what he says, and you watch what she does. You learn what delights and what disturbs that special object of your affection. You're not indifferent to that person's opinions or desires because you want to know what that loved one thinks and feels about everything. So you ask questions. You observe responses. You listen to replies. Because if you love someone, you want to absorb everything you can about this singularly exceptional person that you love. You know what? I can see some of you smiling, and and I know some of your relationships. Because as I'm talking, you're saying, that's me. That's me. I just want to drink this person in. I want to know everything I can know about him, about her. You know, when you know someone that closely, you know special, intimate things about them. Even idiosyncrasies. All of you, who knows David Hardy? Well, I'm going to tell you all a secret about him. David Hardy, although he appears that way, is really not nearly as nice as I am. (laughs) He'll even admit it. But, you know, we all have idiosyncrasies. And people that are close to us know our quirks. They know our peculiarities. Wouldn't y'all like to know some of Leanne's peculiarities? Where where is she? (laughs) I won't tell you because she's endearing to me. So I would never divulge such beautiful, endearing information. And she knows all of my quirks and idiosyncrasies, and they are much less endearing, by the way. But we seek diligently to discern the personality of the people who are special to us. Don't you? When we love God, we pay close, careful attention to what he says in his word, the Bible. But we also listen and we learn to hear what he speaks to us personally and individually and we watch what he does in the world and we see what he does in some particular people's lives you know as I scan this this room I can see people whose lives have changed dramatically over a few years dramatic change and you you can see God at work in them as you watch so we watch what he does in the world but also in the lives of people 
And as we do, we discern his nature, his character, his personality, also in just the magnificence of his creation. You know, Leanne and I love the mountains, and we, we love going up to Gatlinburg. And I know down in the city it's a tourist trap, but, uh, you know, you, I mean, you need to have 45 kinds of fudge to eat. But, but, it, but if you get out on the parkway, the Blue Ridge Parkway, the brilliance of God is inescapable. The glory, the grandeur, the magnificence of God is so evident. It's undeniable in creation. If you think that happened by chance, you are very gullible. It's an inescapable truth. The mastery, the craftsmanship of God. We become everything. We become interested in everything about God. Everything that He wants to show us of Himself in His Word and through this world. You learned anything new about God this week? Have you, Clint? You learned anything new about God? You want to tell us? No. <laughs> there are some secrets between us and God. But you know what? We ought to always be learning about God. And we will because what? We're watching closely. We're listening carefully. We want to know God's desire and His preference for every area of our lives. Not only our church life, not only our spiritual life, but our personal life. Our romance, our relationships, our business, all of our decisions, and also our interest. We want to know what God thinks about everything about us. And so we ask, and we listen, and we observe. John 10, 27. Eight sixty three. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. Do you listen for God's voice? Can you discern when he's speaking to you? Now, some of you may say, well, I can't really discern it. Because sometimes we have other things interfering. Other voices that we hear in our heads. Distractions um, that keep us from hearing. And y'all know that we do transformation prayer here in the church. And all that is is someone that's really praying with you. Asking you questions to help you, to help enable you to hear from God. So that he can speak specifically to you. And he reveals lies and replaces them with truth. He heals wounds. He gives direction through his truth. It requires time and effort to gain familiarity with God's voice. So my question is, are you listening? Are you listening? And it helps us to remember that he knows you. 
That's what it said. I know them. So when God speaks to you, what helps you discern it's him speaking is he speaks specifically to your situation. It's not just some generic, you know, phrase. It's something that, that reaches your soul. Knowing God's word helps you discern his voice. Because God always communicates in ways that are consistent with, with what he's revealed about himself through his word. So how often will God tell you something different than is recorded in his word? Do you think God won't, won't say anything different? Will God ever direct you in a way that's different than what his word says? So if you're hearing that from God, if you're getting the go-ahead on something that you know violates God's word, that is not God speaking. That's either out of your own mind or some demonic spirit speaking to you. So here's an important question. Remember, John 10 says, my sheep hear my voice. One reason you might not be hearing is you may not be one of God's sheep. Are you sure that you belong to God? Ask him right now to confirm that to you, that you belong to him. You are his sheep. You know, when we love someone, we not only listen to what they say, we also attempt to do what they ask. So loving God is also evidenced by compliance. What does the word compliance mean? Say it louder. Obedience. Y'all are mumbling today. What happened? Y'all stay up late watching football or something? I need some vigorous people up here, at least on the front. Compliance means obedience. Acquiescence. Adherence. Or submission. They're all synonymous terms. So back to John 10, 27. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And then what does the rest of it say? They follow me. That means they do what he says. Do you do what God says to you? What he says in his word or what he speaks to you directly? Do you follow the good shepherd in your life? As God's children, his sheep, we should know what he wants for us and from us. Point to somebody that you love. Does she know what you want almost all the time? Does she want anything from you as well as for you? See, that's a relationship. Relationships are two ways. If we treat God like he's an upright blur, like he's some statue or a vending machine passing out uh, tickets to get you into heaven, you don't know God. That's not, that's not knowing God. Knowing God is a circular relationship. He has things he wants for you. He has expectations from you. Do you know what those are? And are you complying with them? Knowing God, boy, I'm trying, I, you can tell this, I've been beating on this rock for 
a couple of years at least. Knowing God doesn't mean accepting some facts about Jesus. 70% of America does that. Knowing God means experiencing Him. It means encountering Him in a way that's transformative. That changes you. In other words, if you have never been changed by God, by His Spirit, you don't know Him in a salvific or a saving way. Because that's what being born again is. There's something different. Birth is undeniable, isn't it? Aubrey's toting a little boy... And we'll see him in January. And I've got an idea that once he pops out, he will make his presence known. Because you know what? Birth is undeniable. It's obvious. The whole world will be different when that child emerges. When was your world made different? Because you were born again. And then after we're born again through subsequent encounters with the Holy Spirit. We are transformed into new persons. In an ever increasing way. It's an ongoing process. It's also called sanctification. But what happens is it changes the way we think. Again, transformation prayer helps us change the way we think if what we think is not true. But we need an experience with God to change those ways of thinking that are not true. Romans 12 too, same place. And the result of that, what is the result of that? Changing the way you think, then what happens? Y'all know that passage. We learn to know God's will. See, when your thinking's changed, you know God's will. You know, we, for so long we thought, oh, oh no, I got to buy a car. Do I, God, do I buy the red car or the yellow car? God's way for us to know His will is to know Him. And we spend time with Him, and He changes the way we think so that we think more similarly to him and we know his will you know what I'm saying if you know someone you know the will right you know in the first service somebody has a big old hog out there not a snorting one that, you know that's eating corn but a big old you know hardly I don't know why folks pay $20,000 to get a headache riding those things. But, but let me tell you this. Okay, let's say that, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm losing my hair, so all I need is a bandana. So I'm outfitted to get one of those Harleys. Now, who thinks that Leanne would love for me to buy about a $25,000 Harley and drive up in the driveway with it in all my glory? Who thinks that? Somebody out there, but I think, I think he's being bogus. You know why? I know her. 
I know what her will will be in that kind of instance. And you know what? When we know God, we know what he wants. Our love for God compels us to obey. Because we want to please him with our lives. And so, again, in Romans 12, 2, his will, not only do we know it, but when we know it, his will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect, Romans 12, 2 says. But what if he's saying no to you about something? 1 John 2, 5, let's look at that. Nine eighty four. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Do y'all see any wiggle room in that passage? That is how we know we're living in him. In other words, what, what, what lets you know that you love God? Answer. Your obedience lets you know you're living in him. So your disobedience says what? It says you don't love him. It says you're not living in him. So your compliance is evidence to you. See, we say, well, I just declared that I'm a Christian. Mm -mm. Where's the evidence? Your obedience is evidence to you, to others, and to God that you love Him. Now, who thinks obedience is always easy? You could almost say it's never easy, at least not in matters that that are important. But obedience means that we're living God-centered lives instead of self-centered lives. Have you noticed that? Once you decide, I'm doing it God's way, then the changes aren't nearly as hard to navigate, are they? And we want to please God more than we want to please ourselves. Isn't that what love is? Jesus said, this is love. You lay down your life for your friend, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children. First John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Has God ever required any of you to make a change in your life? Let me see some hands. Were all of those changes easy? Now this is a question I raised just a moment ago. So why isn't it burdensome? Quit living this way. Quit doing this. 
Quit that person that you think you should be with forever. Quit, quit doing business in this way. Quit speaking to your spouse in this manner. None of those changes are easy changes. But you see, if we love God, which means we know His love for us, then we will be convinced that He knows what is best and He wants only what is best. In fact, we'll be convinced that He knows better than me what's best. But see, that's love. Do you know anybody like that? That you love, then you know this person would never do anything than what's best for me. That's parenting. This kind of weak parenting where we're dying, we're, we're so desperate for our children to like us, that's not love. Love is doing what's best. And that's what God does for us. Now, Perry, does this mean that we have to be perfect in our behaviors or that means we don't love God? Well, we'd be in trouble that way, wouldn't we? None of us are perfect. We know that. But let's don't use the fact that we're imperfect as an excuse to not even care. What I'm talking about here is if we love God, then we care about pleasing Him. It means that we will struggle against our flesh. We will resist our weaknesses. We'll say no to temptations because we care more about satisfying God than satisfying ourselves. You see that? So the evidence is in a struggle. It's not in absolute perfection. But, on the other hand, we cannot be settled, complacent, indifferent in our disobedience and claim we love God. So here's a question. Is your love for God displayed by a compliant, obedient lifestyle. Loving God is also evidenced by conformity. Ephesians 5.1. 9.44. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are His Dear children, that implies that love relationship. When we're intimate with God, we will reflect His character and nature in ever-increasing ways. Haven't you noticed this? You take on the behaviors and interests of people you love. Is that true? I watch more rom-coms than I do action movies, romantic comedies. Do y'all think I like them? Listen, every romantic comedy, I always know within about 90 seconds who's going to end up being the love of the star. I could write every one of them. They just have put them in different cities. But my wife loves those things, and I love my wife, so I watch a lot of romantic comedies. Sometimes I fall asleep and snore, but otherwise I'm... 
but, but you, you acclimate yourself to someone you love. Is that right? When you love someone, your adoration causes you to adopt some of their habits and mannerisms. Jamie, you know what I'm talking about? You picked up some stuff Jennifer loves that you wouldn't. Is that right? You assume some of their attitudes and their actions. I mean, you see this in children, don't you? Children take on the habits and mannerisms of their parents. I have two daughters. If y'all know them, one of the daughters is more like me. One of the daughters is more like Leanne. Now, they both have traits from each of us. But there's no question about which is more like whom. You pick up things from people you adore. You don't even know it's happening. 1 John 2, 6. Nine eighty-five. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. See, if I'm if I'm seeking to live in God, that means inhabit the kingdom of God, even though you're living in this world. You're living, you're part of a secret kingdom that's un, it's not secret, it's unseen. Let me put it that way. And, and seeking to live in God, in his kingdom, will shape your lives so that you'll reflect Jesus in ever increasing way. And you will desire to be God's representative in this world. That's what really being salt and light is. The only way that you can salt something is you have to be different. You can't salt salt. So you have to be distinct from those people around you to be a preservative. The only way that you can provide light in a dark culture is if you possess light. So you've got to have something different, distinct, that's like God. Exercise and influence. That's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. So, so because we love God, we speak and act in ways that resemble Him. So it's no wonder you're being avoided on the invitation list. You don't fit in. You're not created for this world. You're created, recreated for the next one. There's a phrase, 2 Corinthians 2.15, that I love. I think portrays this very clearly. You possess the fragrance of Christ. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been somewhere and you're near someone that you've not even met and you just know. You sense the Spirit of God. You sense the fragrance of Christ. And there may not even be many words spoken. It's just part of you. 
Conformity to God includes not being enamored with this world. Still in 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Now that, in the Greek, it can mean, and it likely does mean both love for the Father and love from the Father. Now this, this verse doesn't mean that everything in this world is evil because God, God created the world. And then this passage goes on and specifically identifies the worldly things a believer should avoid. Verse 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from from the Father. They're from the world. Now, what does this mean? This mean I can't buy a new chair? No, no, it doesn't. Human desires are also part of God's creation. Buying a house isn't, isn't necessarily sin unless your motivation for what you purchase is out of line. You see what I'm saying? But, but human desires aren't inherently evil, but they become immoral when they are sought as a source of significance or when they become your motivation for life. So in other words, you are worshiping these things to provide you a sense of satisfaction and contentment that will only be found in Jesus Christ. The pleasures of the world, possessions of the world, pride in what you have accomplished. None of those things will fill you. And pursuing those things is just a form of idolatry. Use them. Don't worship them. So does my life reflect conformity to God or craving for what this world has to offer? Loving God is also, and finally, evidenced by compassion. See, as I've been saying, when we love God, we become conformed to God's nature and character. And since God has compassion on His children, the children He loves, then we will as well. I mean, it's simple. You know, you, you, you always want to love the people that someone you love loves, right? My daughter brought this strange guy into my house. Now there's another one coming over, but, but when, she, when she chose him and he chose her to marry, I automatically loved him and beyond him to his family. That's the way we are with God. We love the people he loves. Jesus instructed Peter, to show compassion as an expression of Peter's love for him. John 21. The Gospel of John, not the epistle, which means letter of John. John 21, 873. And this is what's called the reinstatement. Peter denied Jesus three times. So so 
We begin at verse 17. So the third time, a third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I think he's getting a little frustrated here. He was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love me, that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, Jesus is called the good shepherd in John 10. And Jesus is about to leave the earth. He's going to ascend into heaven. And so he appointed Peter as a shepherd over the others. And they also appointed, he also appointed the other apostles as shepherds over his followers. So Peter demonstrated his love for Jesus by loving Jesus' followers, which meant caring for their physical and their spiritual needs. He made sure they were fed with food. He also made sure they were fed from God's Word. The word shepherd is a Greek word, poimen. It's also translated pastor. It's the same word. So a pastor is a shepherd, which means someone who takes care of a flock or a fold. And those are words that refer to a church, a collection of Christ followers. Now, a Near Eastern shepherd had numerous tasks related to his sheep. He provided nourishment, made sure they were fed. He protected them from attack. He cared for their wounds and their illness, treated them for illnesses. He sought them out when they were lost. He saved them when they were endangered. That sounds a lot like what we ought to do for each other, doesn't it? You know, as I was studying, I read an interesting story, an interesting fact, that during World War II, when a, a plane was shot up, disabled, another plane would come alongside it. One that, that was, you know, still in good flying condition. And so the, the pilot in the, in the sound plane, the good plane, would line up with the partially disabled plane and maintain visual contact. They would get close enough so they could see each other from the cowling. And the pilot in the sound plane would lead the pilot in the disabled plane all the way back to the base. What does that sound like? You ever been shot up? It ever looked like you ever looked like your life was going to crash? What would have happened if someone had slid in beside you and maintained eye to eye contact until he or she took you all the way home? Sounds a lot like the way we're called to restore brothers and sisters in sin, doesn't it? To bring a brother or sister who's been shot up, who's disabled, 
who looks like their life is about to crash. We're called to come beside and maintain eye contact and give guidance all the way home. Who are you shepherding? You think this is an exception? Only a few people do this? You find this in James 5, 19. You find it in Galatians 6, 1 through 3. And in Galatians, it even says, No, this is about you, so don't think you're too good to do this. Every single one of us is called to care about somebody else. And in doing so, we show love for God. You know, the, the Scripture says that the, the, um, our eyes are windows into our soul. And you know that someone can look at you right in your eyes and can tell how you view them. Someone can see into your eyes and they know whether you're really indifferent to them, whether you're a bigot, whether you're a racist, or whether you're a compassionate Christian that loves them despite the fact that their life may be descending into disaster. Who are you shepherding? We could stop a lot of tragedy if we would do that. And who's shepherding you? God cares for his children. He loves, he protects, he heals, he directs, he delivers, he comforts, he supports. And we are called to do every bit of that for each other. Molly, who are you shepherding? And who's shepherding you? That's what it's about, isn't it? That's what it's about. Hebrews 6.10, You know, it's interesting, too. When you start shepherding somebody else, you sort of stop looking at your own situation. Verse 10. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers. How do you show compassion to people God loves? Soul training this week is for you to ask yourself throughout the day, every day. Remember, if, you're not, if you haven't started five minutes of prayer five days a week, fast on Tuesdays when I do. You can fast along with me. Fast from food, fast from something. I mean, you've heard enough political stuff for a while, so take a few days off. But ask yourself, is love for God evident in my life? Is love for God evident in my life. Now I want to I just read a verse just as a, 
a blessing on you. 1 Peter 1.8 says you love him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Does that describe your life? You say, that doesn't. Well, there'll be counselors here that would love to pray with you and talk with you and discuss your relationship with Christ. There'll be people in the care connection room that will meet with you and help you. The counselors here have oil if you want to be anointed with oil. We've seen some miraculous healing. Doesn't happen every time, but it does happen. I think it happens because we're trying. We're attempting. So I'll pray, and then you'll be dismissed. But the counselors will remain here as long as you need. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to know how much you love us so that we are compelled to love you and each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.